You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got a Colorado native. His name is Chase Seilheimer. Now, Chase grew up following his dad around the mountains, chasing after elk with a rifle. And several years later, he got into archery hunting for these giant animals. That's when the addiction, that's when the passion really kicked off. And so I'm going to be picking his brain a lot about chasing after elk with a bow because it's something that piques my interest so much. And I think a lot of guys from the Midwest, from the East are really intrigued by going out and chasing after these giant antlered animals while they're bugling, while they're rutting, while they're fighting. And I definitely want to try it. I'm hoping maybe this is the year that I actually take my bow out and try to get some of these experiences for myself. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I'm pretty pumped about this one. Let's jump into the conversation with Chase. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a guy from Colorado. He's a diehard archery hunter, loves chasing after elk in September, listening to those bugles in the mornings. And his name is Chase Seilheimer. And I'm really excited about this because even before I hit record, we've been talking about my predicament I'm in, I guess, wanting to chase after elk in Colorado with my bow, but also not wanting to give up my, my main hunt in Colorado every year so far has been hunting 
hunting elk with my rifle during second season. But I'm hoping that, you know, after this conversation, after I start seeing pictures and videos roll in on social media, that maybe I change my mind. I'm going to be out West anyways. I might just pull the trigger and go chase them with my bow this fall. So Chase, thanks for hopping on, man. I'm really excited about this one. Oh yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so most of the listeners probably aren't going to know you, you know, I'm sure you're going to have some friends, family that listen to this. Uh, I feel like a lot of my listener base is here in the Midwest or even here locally. I run into a lot of people out and about that, um, that listen to the podcast, but you being from Colorado, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with the listeners, uh, maybe how you got into hunting and what it is that you love about it now. So basically, um, I started hunting when I was super, super little. Uh, my dad got me a BB gun and, you know, all, all the animals in the backyards, the dove, the quail, the rabbits, everything was fair game to me. <laughs> uh, learned, learned how to shoot with the, the red rider. Um, you know, it was, it was really fun experiencing all that rolling around through that backyard and pretending to be like I was in the Colorado mountains that my dad left for every year, you know, and I, that I didn't get to go with him. So, um, really I was just following in his footsteps in pretty much an acre. Um, and very shortly after a couple of years, uh, got my hunter safety and he took me on my first ever elk hunt with a rifle. And it was a youth hunt here in Colorado. And the way that they used to do it was, uh, I believe it was in December and it rolled into January for a cow elk. And I really, really got spoiled my first year. Uh, he took me out to breakfast and we ate breakfast and the first dirt road that we turned on to some, some land that my unit was for, there was probably heard about 150 cows. Oh man. And there was probably about two foot of snow on the ground. And he told me, he said, hop out, lay down, you know, pick a cow that's by herself and do your breathing and go ahead and, and take your shot when you're ready. And I did and completely just perfect shot, folded her right there. And ever since then, it was like, it, it was a sickness. I, I couldn't get, <laughs> I couldn't get over that feeling of, of passion and just being out there with, with nature and my dad. So that's pretty much where it all started for me. Man, that's awesome. I mean, I, I know the feeling of your family leaving or your dad leaving and he's going out on this amazing hunt and you're left at home with a BB gun. Same thing for me. It was like songbirds, rabbits, squirrels, you name it. Uh, maybe my little brother's leg every now and then soda cans. <laughs> Uh, I'd be shooting them with a BB gun and, uh, I can only imagine that I, I feel like it's magnified. It's on a different scale when you're talking the Rocky mountains or Western big game hunting, you know, the landscape's way bigger. It's so much different. The, the animals like an elk compared to a white tailed deer from Wisconsin, there's, there's no comparison when it comes to size. And so, um, I totally feel that, but what a crazy encounter right out of the gate first time where you you turn and there's that many elk just kind of facing you down and you get out and shoot one did do you feel like 
what was the feeling after that one, I guess? Because I think a lot of people like the chase. They like the, the difficulty and the suffering of Western hunting. And so was that, did it seem like it came too easy maybe? Well, you know, in, in the moment, I, I felt bulletproof. I felt like, oh my gosh, like how does nobody else come home with wild game meat? And the next year I had a big reality check about that. I mean, it was, um, you know, it wasn't so easy. We spent, let's see, I, th I think we would go on the weekends and, you know, we were doing the whole weekend warrior deal and, and it was the last weekend until I saw elk again the following year. So, you know, it just Dang. goes to show you that you can't really take anything for granted out there in the, in the mountains because it's, it's never, ever going to be the same. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I know that it changes day to day out there. I've had encounters, even this past year, I took some guys out and we were so excited because we got out there two days early and it was for rifle season. Um, I actually branched away from my normal, from my normal elk camp uh, this past year because I wanted to get some new guys out. And so we got out there and we got into elk two days before season even started. We, we picked out this bull. I mean, we saw probably 30 or 40 cows and they were only like eight or 900 yards from our camp. Dude, this bull in there was one of the biggest public land bulls I've ever seen. And then we went from that to not seeing an elk on the hoof for the full first four days of season, I think it was, or five days of season. And I'm like, man, what the heck? Like we were so, everybody was so confident. They're like, oh dude, the elk are right there. We're going to go shoot one opening day. And then they just completely disappear. So yeah, they can definitely play those tricks on you, make you think it's super easy and then right. trick you right away the next day or the next season. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once you started rifle hunting, how long was it before you got into archery hunting? Oh, I picked up archery hunting uh, about three, four years ago. Um, <clears throat> so shout out to my brother, man. He, he, he's my hunting partner for life. Um, you know, without him, none of these things that we do up in the mountains would be possible. And so he, he did it with my dad when he was little. And, uh, you know, we just kind of had a conversation about it and, and started getting into it. And before I was born, my dad was a huge deer archery hunter and a very successful one at that. And over the years, he just kind of picked up a gun and, and never looked back, which is really cool to this date because me and my brother have got him back into archery and he's actually hunting archery elk with us now the past couple of years. Oh, that's cool. So one, once you did get into archery elk, it was like a whole different level, I'm assuming. And I hear oh. that from a ton of people, but what was like, what was that like for you, you know, going from maybe chasing them with a rifle and not, not necessarily seeing all the rutting activity or hearing the bugles constantly. And then to jump into what people think of as like the prime season for hunting elk. I'm sure that was a whole different level also. So 
the first first year we went archery hunting was in the same unit that we had been rifle hunting for all those years and when we got up there we we realized that it wasn't the best uh archery hunting opportunity for elk in, in those specific part of the woods and so really it was it was just a trial run to see if if we both had it in us to to actually do this archery hunting and real quick we learned that we really had no idea what we were doing it's i tell you man archery hunters it, it's a different breed you know it's it's completely different than than rifle hunting you know the the close encounters in the the ridge lines that you have to walk to find these beasts of an animal it's just it's incredible and it's it's so different than looking through them through a spotting scope oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure like the physical side of it like you're carrying around a bow and not that a bow is like crazy heavy or anything but it's definitely a different shape uh you have to get closer by a lot i mean i i've seen all those videos of guys shooting elk at 1400 yards with a rifle but with a bow i mean your effective range is inside of 100 yards for 99 percent of the population and to just to close that distance on an elk might mean the difference of you know three hours of crawling on your hands and knees or trying to stalk uh was that was that kind of eye-opening for you as well the physical side of it yeah you know it, it really was um i mean we didn't have all the stuff that we truly needed like i said before it was like a trial run so being out there with things that weren't i guess in other words trying to do things with gear that i didn't have made it so much harder because there's there's a very fine line of being able to archery elk hunt and just being in the woods with your bow there's there's so many obstacles that you have to go over before you can even get a chance to throw a bugle at a bull or you know throw some cow calls and maybe gain some interest i mean there's there's just so many things that are involved in one single day hunt have you you know you just leave camp to go out there and and locate one it's not just some little sunday walk through the woods i mean you you have to really want it and you have to go you know eight ten miles sometimes yeah i i mean when when people think about elk hunting obviously you know like your first hunt you can get lucky you can you can have the elk right there as soon as you turn down the road but it's not like midwestern whitetail hunting where you might have a deer and its core area or its home range is all almost on your property you know if you've got 40 acres or 200 acres it's like those deer are going to stay there for the most part year round with elk i've i've personally watched elk run two miles in a matter of i mean two like mountainous miles up and down hills down through valleys up opposing uh basically mountain ranges and they can do it in a matter of 20 minutes 30 minutes no problem and the idea of just going out for a stroll like you said it's not a sunday stroll 
most of the time, I would say probably 995 times out of a thousand, it's going to be very physically demanding on you when you're chasing after these animals. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's different, man. And the, the years that I have put into it so far, you know, this year, I mean, this, this is the time of year where I am just so stoked. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been hitting the gym. Uh, I've been doing the run, lift, shoot, just preparing. Um, and I don't think that I'm still in shape enough to do it because like last year, me and my brother, when we went on this hunt, you know, we hiked in three miles before either one of us even touched our bugle tube because we had a destination that we wanted to go to, to get away from people. Because, you know, I've heard people on your podcast before, like, if you're going to go to Colorado, you better be prepared to see a bunch of people in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. So, and we knew that, you know, we live here, we, we know how it goes. And, uh, you know, we started going in there and we were, we were so far in at the point where we bugled that it was like, you know, if, if we do get one to answer, I really hope he answers from back where we started walking in because <laughs> we're, we're in here and we're determined, but at the same time, it's like, you almost have to put a bunch of work in before you can get to play, you know, especially yeah. up here in Colorado that it's, it's a different ball game up here. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's just getting more and more overrun. Even when I started elk hunting, you know, we'd run into other people out there for sure. I don't think there's many places you can go in the state that you're not going to do that. But it's just a different level this year. Holy cow. Like we explored one new place and maybe this spot is like that every year. I can't imagine. I can't imagine anybody would go back there with how many vehicles we saw. It was like every clearing every tiny little opening was just loaded with vehicles giant camps of people and i'm thinking like dude just this one unit just in this parking area there's got to be three or four hundred people that are going out after elk and it was it blew my mind i told everybody i was with last year i was like i will not be going back to this spot unless it's a different season and i and i see that there's not this much pressure because that was just, I mean, it was concerning. I can't imagine traveling from out of state and not having a backup location. And you go and you see, you encounter that, you encounter that many people. Um, you, you had mentioned not having the right equipment at first, you know, trying to get the job done, even though you didn't have the right gear to do it. What did, what did the changing or how did changing gear affect it? And what gear were you switching to? Like, were you swapping out boots and optics and camo or what was the actual gear that you found helps you get it done year to year? Yeah. So the main two things for me was my pack and my boots. Um, the, the other thing is when, I, when I go archery elk hunting and I mean, you know, it's, it's different for everybody and the, mountain variety up here is so different. You know, you can have guys that use uh, crazy glass, you know, this huge spotting scope and, and what have you. But, you know, when, when I go back in there, I got my vortex 10 by 42, you know, I mean, because 
you're walking that ridge line and you're throwing out location bugles, you're throwing out challenge bugles, you're, you know, you're giving cow calls. So in my mind, what I do is I just keep moving up that ridge or, you know, one more mountain or one more saddle until I get another bugle. So the glass really helped when I changed over. Um, I went up there with a super old pair of binos that was hand-me-down from my grandfather. And 50 yards was horrible to look through those things. So even my first year hunting, even if there was a herd or a lone bull that was walking by us, I, I don't think those binos would have really done the job in order for me to know if that was a shooter bull or not. So yeah, the boots, the pack and binos were definitely, definitely what I changed. Um, this year I'm, I'm still running just a 10 by 42 uh, binos. Um, just because like I said, it's, I'm hardly ever on those things unless we're back at the truck somewhere looking at a different mountain. Yeah, um, yeah. but the, the bugling and the location is, is really what it's all about up here, you know, because you really, you really got to get back in there. And I mean, don't get me wrong. You can still go up on the top of a knob and, and glass down. That's really nice too, especially, you know, especially in the early season when they might not be in, in full rut or what have you, you know, you can kind of glass up, follow them to bed or anything like that. Yeah, I'm. I know, the the gear, the equipment that you take out there is always, it's always a game changer. Like you, you don't want to go above and beyond. You don't want, you know, to buy all the most expensive stuff. You don't want to have every little trinket or gadget that you can that you can find because if you did, you know, all your pockets are going to be full. But there are definitely crucial pieces, and I would totally agree with you. Like the boots, glass, and pack are all vital to your success out there aside from your weapon system like those are as important as they get and that's one thing that this year i'll be going out with a spotting scope and i haven't had one in the past um i've always done binos but i definitely want to get more video and stuff this year and it's really easy i can one use my spotter to figure out what animals are out there if it's worth going after, get a better look at long ranges. But two, I can hook my phone up to it and then I can record and, you know, document it as I go. And I got, I've got the Razer HD. And one thing that I really like about it is it breaks in half. So I can like take it apart and stuff it in two different pockets. Um, it, you know, if, if I don't have enough room in one pocket or whatever, which Fortunately, on my backpack, I've got a pocket that's kind of perfect for it. Um, one, once you do figure out your gear list, though, when you're going out there, I know you said you're going out with your brother, your dad started going. Do you guys coordinate a lot of the equipment that you use so that you're not doubling up on, you know, a, a camp stove or you're not doubling up on water filters? Or how do you go about that so that you're not all bringing the same stuff out? Right. So, uh, most of the time, if it's just, if it's just me and my brother, uh, you know, he carries all like the cooking stuff for the wonderful mountain houses we eat up there and I'll carry, I'll carry water. 
Um, but mostly what we do, to be honest with you, is, uh, you know, we do, we take off from the truck and we got our cooking stuff. We got water. We got our food for a couple of nights. I mean, we'll, we'll usually stay. If we do drop a spike camp, we're up there for like two days just because where we go specifically, it's not that bad of a hike to get to the summit. So from the truck to that summit, there is so many different uh, drainages and fingers that we can hunt. So if we do get back in there with our spike camp, you know, it, 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 we do, we do talk a little bit before we take off. Like you take this, you got the food, I got the water. We're set for a couple of days. Um, typically we just, the first, uh, weekend we always get uh labor day so we're up there for five days and we usually come back to the truck after the second day and kind of you know fill our packs back up or you know if, if we need to move or make another decision that's typically what we do but other than that i mean we're not we're not packing for 10 12 14 days you know we're we're pretty much weekend warriors to be honest with you you know we all got yeah full-time jobs and and what have you so the the spike camps are nice but the problem is is once again there there is a lot of people so trying to find the difference between an actual bull bugle in the middle of the night and people driving on the surrounding roads trying to locate where the herd is for the next morning uh, that that will get to you up there. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Not only is the physical game, but the mental game of competing with other people, or you know, when you do get tricked and you get called into somebody else, and you just put in a lot of work to get in position, thinking you're gonna have an encounter, and it turns out it's a dude with a with a tube of his own. Um, I could see that getting discouraging or demoralizing. Have you guys had that same issue? But on like on the reverse side where somebody somebody comes into your bugle? Yes. So the past couple of years I have been, and, and especially this, this summer, I have been watching every video known to man about elk, how they talk, what it means, um, you know, the, the sounds, everything. So the past couple of years, I've been starting to get pretty decent um, at bugling and the lit ball and, you know, and chuckling and that stuff. And I've, I've called hunters up elevation. I mean, damn near to the top of the mountain, to be honest. <laughs> and it's just kind of one of those things that people are so hungry for it that they'll, they'll chase anything before they think of common sense. And you know, I mean, I think it's happened to probably about a handful of times to us, but there was one year specific that I was just bugling from the, from the ridge top, and I had two bugles, one, one on each side. And uh, so me and my brother dropped down just probably about a hundred yards just to sit there. Cause when I heard him chuckle, I knew right away that it was not a bull. Bulls don't sound like that. And so we, we decided we wanted to see how far we could bring him in. And then we wanted to talk to him and, and see how his hunt was going and things like that. And, uh, 
so we were posted up behind a couple of trees and I think he came in probably to the trail about 30 yards before he even knew where we were and I had been cow calling like three times in a row to try and tell him that it was a human up here and not an actual bull yeah oh my gosh yeah that could <laughs> I could see that being I mean it's it's just weird to think you know if if I had that happen say I was deer hunting here and someone came into a buck call well one they'd be poaching because they're not supposed to be on the property that I'm on and two it would it would just blow my hunt up you know obviously elk out there they move around a lot and it's not necessarily going to completely ruin your day as far as hunting goes but it may have just cost you a couple hours of of work um it seems like it would be frustrating have you have you found though that like in those encounters or when you run into other people in the mountains like do you guys kind of share information without giving too much away are people typically friendly or is it kind of like hostile like we're competing for the same spot the same animals like i'm annoyed by running into people all the time um you know everybody that that i've ran into um they're they're really nice i mean you know the the brotherhood of of hunting it it means so so much to so many people myself included that it's just for instance that guy that we that we had brought up and we talked to him uh you know it's like hey what which side of the mountain who you guys came from so i know not to go back down there or where are you headed so i don't cut you off again or yeah. things of that so i've never really ran into anybody that's given us any issues or trouble so far <laughs> guys i can't believe it but we are one month away from season openers all across the country and if you're like me you're finalizing your gear list getting last minute preparations set in place and a few things that you cannot forget are a good rangefinder and a good set of binoculars or best of both worlds, the two combined into one. Vortex offers their line of Fury binoculars with range finding capabilities and applied ballistics built right in. I'll have mine around my neck from the mountains of Utah to the north woods of Wisconsin and every trip in between. So if you're ready to get serious about your last minute prep to increase your odds this fall, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's good to hear. You you hear those horror stories, and I think a lot of people view that as reality all the time, where you go out there and, you know, you get into it with somebody and you guys are yelling at each other because you're, your, you're in each other's honey holes or whatever. But... In all reality, I feel like 95% of the people I come across out there and in the outdoors in general are pretty cool. They're pretty laid back, no issues. And for the most part, we're willing to communicate. And like you said, even if it's not necessarily help each other out, just kind of direct each other like, hey, I'm going to be heading over this way where are you guys headed so we don't bump into each other again. Um, so that's, that's cool to hear, especially out west. Yeah, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I've I had a uh, a really bad encounter with uh, with a dad, grandpa, and the and the son. Um, me and my dad. This was 
oh, I don't know, I, I think about four years ago, uh, me and my dad has glassed up this buck and uh, he was on the hillside. And so we, we drove in a little bit closer and me and my dad started kind of walking up and I think it was about 340 yards. And, uh, you know, I, I sat down and took my time and I, I had a rifle at this point for my mule deer hunt and took my time, waited for him. He was in no hurry. He was just standing there enjoying the sun. And uh, I took my shot and I, I dropped the deer right there. Um, it, it was a little high. So I, I know that, you know, I kind of hit him in the spine when I dropped him. And uh, so we get back to the truck, you know, letting him expire. Uh, not trying to push it too fast or anything like that and we're heading we're heading up there a couple about an hour and 15 minutes and I see a white truck that's kind of parked on the road that came down from the mountain that I had just fired at and this truck was parked there and pretty soon I I hear a gunshot and it sounded awfully close and I'm sure you know that when you're up there, you can kind of tell which way the gun was fired in a sense. Yep. And so I knew, I knew that it was fired towards where I had just killed a buck. And I thought maybe somebody over there had like a doe tag or, or something crazy. I, I would have never believed what happened. And we get up there and we start running to where the gunshot came from. And they had a park bench that they had brought in the back of their truck. And they had this thing set up on the road. And the grandpa and the dad and the son, I think, I think he was probably about 14 years old. They had a shooting table right here on the road. And they were shooting at the buck that I had just shot. Oh, my and gosh. They had completely blown the rear quarter of this buck out and I mean it was a screaming match it was I mean my my heart was beating so fast I was I was so mad but at the same time I was so upset that so much wheat uh meat was getting wasted because yeah. this kid just kept firing bullets I think in total he threw five rounds at this deer oh my gosh dude so, I there I don't is, know what I would do in that people. situation. Yeah, I don't. That's the type of thing where even just thinking about it, like I'm sick to my stomach just thinking about the potential of that happening. And you actually had it happen. You lived it out. So it, you guys went up and obviously had a conversation, had a screaming match or whatever with them. What ended up happening with that one? Well, they they knew I, th I think the dad knew that uh you know they, they had a bench there so between the time of when i had fired my round and the deer dropped i i know that they had been glassing this deer or looking at him setting up this table for the little kid to shoot and so after screaming and telling him like you know that this was my this was my animal i went after him i made the move i fired the first shot and uh, you know, ultimately, I, I am the one who had killed this animal. And it, it wasn't really that long of a screaming match that I had with these guys. And they and they pretty much just like backed out, you know, I mean, 
And on the reverse side of this story, like I told my dad, who was with me at the time, like, you know, if I had my son out here and he was shooting at a deer and it was his first ever deer, his first hunt, like I'd be damned if I would let somebody else take it. So yeah, in a way, I feel like that dad knew that he was in the wrong. So he just got out of there. But ultimately I, I recovered the deer. Um, there was unfortunately a lot of meat wasted from all the rounds that this thing had pumped into it, but we saved as much as we possibly could. Um, I actually have a picture of that deer on my Instagram and it was shortly after that when the picture got taken. Man, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. That's, that's heartbreaking. I mean, it's, it's good that it ended on a decent note as far as like him realizing they were in the wrong and backing out. Uh, I've heard of, you know, things escalating from there, even on different hunts where two people shoot the same deer and, you know, they're hitting a physical altercation over stuff. But uh, yeah, it, that's, that's the nature of it. You know, things happen. Like when you're out there, tensions are high emotions are running like through the roof. You're, you're going out there to take the life of an animal. You're going out there and you may be spending all of your vacation for the year on this one week of hunting. You're putting a lot of time and energy and money into it. Maybe spending all your brownie points, depending on what your spouse's view of you going out each year is. And (laughs) yeah, when you get out there and then all of a sudden something unexpected like that happens, things can go south in a hurry. But it's good to hear that things kind of turned around. Unfortunate that you lost meat. Um, that's never a good feeling. Uh, what, what about now? Like what, if, if I were to ask you, what does a normal day look like for you when you're going out with your bow and, you know, maybe it's September and the rut's kicking off, the bugles are going, you know, there's, there's plenty of other people out there chasing after elk. How do you go about like a daily hunt? Do you put all the information together from the day before and then make a game plan or, or what does it look like day to day? Is there a certain maybe terrain feature that you're looking for to start the morning and then you just kind of follow the bugles from there or what? So, yeah, from, from all the, the pins we drop on Onyx, um, you know, we kind of make a game plan from there. What, what ridges look good, what fingers, what have you. And, uh, we also take into consideration the the other hunters that we've seen throughout the day, um, and I don't I'm not talking bad about anybody or anything like that. But man, people, a lot of archery hunters down here are very lazy. They stick to the trail. That's you know a mile, a mile and a half maybe that I've noticed. Um, they they don't they don't spread off. I mean, you know, me, we, we walk that trail for a mile and then we bust off of the trail and hike straight up the ridge, you know? So the game plans determine on whether or not we heard a bugle down here by the Creek, or if we heard one up here where we know last year, that's kind of where the, where all the rubs were, you know? So basically on a daily hunt, it's kind of, head to where we think looks good from all the information that we've gathered and throw some bugles off of that ridge and, and see where it takes us. You know, it might take us back towards the truck or it might take us another two miles 
down, you know, down this saddle. You, you never really know, especially here in Colorado with like the weather and things like that. It's, it's a gamble, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like a good starting point for people going out West is really just figuring out what a daily hunt is going to look like. Obviously you're going to get curveballs thrown your way, whether and encounters with other hunters or, you know, maybe you blow a large herd of elk out of an area that you didn't even realize they were. Um, but to, to get a general game plan together for what your day is going to look like and to communicate that with, in your case, your brother or whoever else you're hunting with so that everyone's on the same page going into the morning. Cause I could see, I could see it being difficult. You know, if two people go out there with different levels of physical fitness, different expectations, and then all of a sudden, day one comes and you're at odds of how to go about it or, or what area to look for elk in that could be, that could be challenging. So say you, say you find an elk, right. Or you hear a bugle that you're pretty confident isn't another human being. Um, what's the game plan from there, depending on time of day, you know, are you letting them, are you letting them bed down and then making a move? Or are you trying to call them over right away? Uh, how do you go about that? So, yeah, that's, that, that's one of the things, you know, you, all, you always go back and forth on uh, with archery elk hunting is the midday madness. Um, you know, to be honest, I've, I've, heard, I've heard bugles in the morning, but encounters have always been, I, we've always called bulls in from like 11 to 2 o'clock. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's super crazy. And last year we got pretty lucky um i'll run off on that here in a minute but so you know if we hear a bull bull bugle and it's getting pretty close to midday we'll kind of we'll kind of think uh you know well let's let's throw one back see how interested he is you know let's let's drop down a little bit maybe try and get to the same elevation stay a little bit higher than him you know make him feel a little bit comfortable not like something's running after him wanting to to get after him right away um so yeah following following them to their beds um it's it's great because in other podcasts i've listened to and a couple of people on yours you know you you bed them down and then you kind of you kind of creep in you know you you close that distance and once you once you get in that bull's area you know, he might be getting up after he's bedded down to go wallow or, or get a drink or something like that. So he'll kind of leave his cows a little bit. And so if you can, if you can bed him down and, and get him to separate from them cows, first off, that's great because there's not as many eyes on you. Yeah. Uh, second off, he's, he's probably going to want to be a little more uh, protective of his area that he's in right now. Obviously that's his, that's his bedroom. You know, that's where his girls are. He, you don't want nobody else rolling through there when he's out taking a drink or a bath or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we try and bed them down, fall them to their beds and really just try and just irritate them enough to get them to stand up and, and want to play with us. You know, it's, I mean, every bull's different. There's not an exact pattern. Um, you're going to run into ones that want to play right away and you're going to run into ones that, really don't want anything to do with you, but they might come in silent. You know, you know, you never know. It's, it has a lot to do with, uh, 
you know, like, like the weather, you know, unfortunately the past couple of years here in Colorado have been super hot in September. And this year we've been getting a little bit of moisture down here. So I'm really excited to see how it's going to look for the, for the elk this year. Yeah. I think everybody's getting that itch right about now where it's like, dude, it's coming. It's, it's so close. And I can't believe how far into the year we are already. Like the fact that we're staring down the opener for a lot of our tree seasons across the country blows my mind. Um, I want to touch on one thing that you had just mentioned and that's, you know, once they bed down, sometimes the bulls they'll branch off away from the, from the cows and they'll go hit a wallow or whatever. Um, what is, I guess, what is a bull do? What are its habits throughout the day? You know, is it, are they patternable as far as like, Hey, from this time to this time, they're going to go in bed down. They get up maybe every 30 minutes or every hour and they make their rounds pulling in any cows or fighting off any bulls. Have you noticed anything like that? Or uh, do you have any good information on that? That would help some first time elk hunters. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, if you're a first time person going out there, you know, you, the mornings, obviously, you know, they're, they're going to be coming back up. They're going to be wanting to move towards their bed. They're going to be wanting to lay in some shade. Um, what, what I have found is, you know, every herd, every bull, everything is, is so different between, you know, truthfully, I don't think you can go stand in the same place every single day of the year. And I don't think you're going to catch a 20 or 30 minute window of when this bull crosses over this saddle to get to his bed. Um, reason that I'm saying that is because there is in September, you know, there's, there is very curious, um, elk. So if they do hear a bugle, they might change their direction from their normal pattern. If, yeah. if they do have a pattern. So it's really hard to pattern an elk. I feel like, I mean, I'm, Again, I'm no expert on elk, but from my experiences, um, they almost seem kind of willy nilly when, when it comes to the heat of the rut, you know, they, okay. first off, they're burning so much energy. They only have one thing on their mind and to pattern an elk, I feel like would be, first off, that'd be really cool. Especially if you had a target bull, you know, just in the open wilderness, that would be super, super cool. But for the most part, when they bed down and they go to wallow, there's no telling how many times they're going to want to, uh, you know, get up and, and get a drink or wallow. I mean, as few as possible, because I mean, as you know, animals that are in the rut, they, they burn so much energy, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so really when it's bedding time, they're somewhat lazy, which gives you an advantage to sneak in or gives you give you an opportunity to see how many eyes are going to be on you when he gets up to move his cows to go back down to feed. And another thing is, is the moon phases. Um, you know, those, those have kind of screwed us over here in Colorado. Um, the past couple years, I believe two years, the moon phases haven't been great for opening weekend. Okay. Um, which for me, is not ideal because like I said, I get the five day hunt um, opening weekend because of Labor Day. So 
the moon phase really kicks it off too. You know, if it's a full moon, they're going to be, they're going to be eating like crazy. Um, but I mean, other than that, I, it's, I feel like it would be a little difficult to pattern an elk, especially a bull elk, um, in the, in the heat of the rut that is. Yeah. I, so maybe a better question would be what, what are the three main factors for a bull uh, that determine how like his frequency of getting up or his movements. Well, you're you're gonna have the bulls that you know. I mean, obviously, if there's just a little a little raghorn with a with a herd, he's not gonna be the one that's gonna be wanting to to get up and and wallow crazy trying to impress anybody because he knows that there's going to be somebody that's bigger and badder than him so i believe that they probably won't get up until maybe maybe couple hours or you know an hour before he's going to want to pick his cows up to go to a different grazing location he's gonna he's gonna want to get a drink and wallow and start stinking and all of that good stuff. So when he's out there with his cows, they're, they're going to know where he's at. They're going to know what's going on. Okay. So then when like, just because I, I don't have really any experience watching elk in the rut, aside from in like Rocky mountain national park where you can't hunt anyways. Um, but so when they go from bedding down, maybe through the heat of the day or whatever time, when that bull stands up, is he the one who's initiating the movement? Is he the one who's kind of walking around and basically like, all right, everybody, time to get up, time to move. We're going to feed. We're going this direction. Or is it like a lead cow that's doing that? Um, how, how does the social dynamic of the elk herd kind of play into that? So, the, the lead cow is going to be the one that's going to, that's going to pick them up, um, say it's time to go. Um, the bull will take charge. I believe from my experiences that if he wants them to go a certain place, he, he's going to stand behind him. He's going to throw him a little chuckle. You know, he's going to kind of rub up on some of the cows and back. So now that we're like a month out, I mean, there's only a few weeks of planning and preparation. What, what are you guys doing now to get ready to hopefully increase your opportunities or your success this fall? Yeah. So for me, it's, uh, it's going to the gym every morning, um, wanting to better myself from past experiences, knowing what's coming. Um, and then I have been doing the run lift shoot. So as soon as I get home from the gym, I pull the bow out and I'll sling about 12 arrows. Um, and it's, it's really started to been helping me with my control of arrow placement and, you know, holding it back from my release. And I I've noticed that the shaking from working out so hard in the morning when I get back, you know, I'm, I'm really, really shaky, which I've had a couple bulls come in before and I thought I was fine until I drew back. Yeah. And you know, you just like everybody, you, you get the shakes. So in a way I feel like it's, um, sort of helping me with 
the control of my breathing, which is really cool. And really it's just uh, searching on Onyx every night, you know, looking for those benches, looking for some, for some creeks, looking for more meadows, maybe we can cross through, you know, it's really, it's an all year uh, planning process for me and my brother. We're, you know, we got an archery shoot up at the Cachera Valley Ski Resort coming up, a little 3D shoot. So really all year we're preparing for the weekends that we get in September. Nice. Yeah. I, I find that I hear that a lot. And I mean, really it can be translated to a lot of different types of hunting. Um, but once you're passionate about something, you really do turn it into a year round thing. As far as Western hunting though goes, I feel like people from my part of the country or farther East, like you got to understand this, this can't be a last minute deal. If you think you're going to go and chase elk in the mountains, putting on miles and miles at a much greater elevation than even where we're at. I mean, we're like a thousand feet here. Uh, <laughs> you better start planning. You better start preparing, hitting the gym, doing the physical side of it, the mental side of it and the gear side of it long before a month out. And so hopefully the listeners that are hearing this, you know, they've got a couple more ideas as far as what to do. Um, but if, if this is the first year thinking about elk hunting this fall, you might be, you might be in for a wild ride on your first time out West. Yeah, man. And, and another thing that I do too, and, and my wife, oh, she absolutely hates it, but I got, I got a diaphragm call in my mouth all the time, you know, whether driving to work, I'm just thrashing on that bugle tube. I'm trying to get it right. I want that muscle memory of being able to hit these lip balls and and chuckles in the right moments, you know, because I've had like last year, uh, my, my brother was, was, uh, bugling for me and we kind of got this, this little setup, you know, it's kind of like an unspoken rule that whoever bugles that becomes the caller. It don't, it don't matter if the elk comes in or not, like you are the caller. He liked your call enough to want to respond. Yeah. So man, we, we had this bull coming in on a string, man. I mean, it was the coolest thing ever. I, I mean, every time I close my eyes, I think about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm addicted to this stuff, man. It, it's cool. And, uh, he was coming in and I think they bugled back and forth back three or four times. And, uh, I, I saw this bull drop down in this little ravine, probably about a hundred yards from me. And he started, he started creeping in and I, and between me and him was just like a little, little meadow. I mean, probably 35 yards across, not, not very big at all. And then there was a, some dark timber up kind of on the trail he was coming and he had two trails to walk and the left trail led him right to a perfect shot for me. And the upper trail went right behind this humongous tree. I mean, the, the dead branches around this tree were probably about 14 to 16 feet wide and just completely like so thick. You couldn't even see the ground on the other side of it. And of course this bull went right behind there, you know, and I was at full draw and and uh never never had a, a clean shot you know I, I didn't want to take something that i wasn't completely confident about so i mean it's it's awesome man the, those those moments like that is exactly 
what I live for. And so the preparation that I have taken from, from that experience last year is learning how to get these elk to me when they're hung up, whether it's dumping a water bottle out, sounding like a bull that's peeing on the floor, uh, marking, marking where he's at to throwing a quiet chuckle or, or what have you, man. It's, I have been so invested in the calling this year. It's, it's absolutely insane. I mean, I've blown through I, countless of uh, diaphragms this year already before seasons even started. <laughs> but I know you had mentioned, I mean, I hear about these little techniques that help you close the distance when, you know, it's like raking or just like thrashing around on the ground, dumping a water bottle out. Like you can do all these little things that they hear all the time and they associate, you know, with another elk peeing or whatever. Um, one thing I don't hear a ton about when it comes to elk hunting is the scent side of things, obviously playing the wind and controlling your own scent, but in the whitetail world, using like scent lures and estrus smells and, you know, just all of these different, uh, mock rubs and scrapes and, and marking up the woods with the scent of a competing buck are you doing any of that? I mean, is there a market for that in the elk industry that I just don't know about and I don't hear talked about a whole lot? Or is that not something you think about, like putting out another bull's scent to try to to try to try get it to come in and close that last little bit? Right. So, I mean, we have tried those little strips. They're like little Velcro camo strips that you put on your bow and then you squirt the the cow pee on them you know we we tried those the first couple of years and to be honest we just couldn't stand it I mean it was it was to the point where it was like okay you know maybe we're gonna leave the bow over here away from the tent a little bit <laughs> um you know I, I'm not really too sure how many people do that but you know if if you're playing your cards right and you're you know you're you're on this bull um, you're, you're going to have the wind coming in your face. Yeah. So truthfully, I really don't think that for an archery elk hunt, I don't think that that would help tremendously just because of the wind factor, you know, the, those elk, you, you can, you can camo up and you can hide from them, but that, that scent of ours as humans, man, that, that's a whole different deal. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I was thinking maybe a little bit about a rope that you drag behind you with some type of scent to just get it in that animal's nose, you know, maybe he's going to turn and kind of follow your trail up to it. But yeah, with elk, I know their scent is so incredible, or their sense of smell is so incredible. And that definitely makes sense now that you answer that if they're going to smell that scent that you're putting out, they're going to be downwind of you and you're going to be at a disadvantage so it doesn't really make sense to try to play that game yeah yeah absolutely i mean don't get me wrong i i tried it and then the more i got into it i realized like man you could not shower for 14 days and if you have the wind in your favor you're you're probably going to be all right yeah yeah you don't want to you don't want to blow the wind advantage just to get some fake velcro strip in its nose um that makes perfect sense man i dude i really appreciate you hopping on chatting with me sharing your insight because 
this is something that I know a lot of guys think about like, man, could I go out there? Could I get it done? What all do I need to know? How difficult is it? And there's no substitute for actually getting out there and experiencing and learning firsthand. But when, when presented with all the information, you know, hopefully people hear this and they go, man, this is something I could do. And I might not be successful the first year or every year, but at least I could go out and have some cool encounters and get hooked whether or not I let an arrow fly. And so I really do appreciate you hopping on, sharing, sharing your experiences. And before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners where they can find you, where they can follow along, see some of the pictures um, and that type of stuff. Yeah. So my Instagram is chase s outdoors one. Um, you know, I, I post pictures of, of the hunting stuff and, you know, I, I do got my family and every deal, everything like that. So, um, that's on there, but yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you letting me hop on here. I, I've been following you and, and I really like what you're doing, man. And, and being able to talk to you is such a, such a game changer for me. Uh, so, so thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I just, I like connecting with people and, you know, I'm trying my hardest to be a student of the outdoors and of the animals that I'm chasing. And a lot of that information and that learning comes from people like you who have done it, you know, you're, you're well-versed in it and you've been doing it for a while and you uh, you've had these encounters to where, you know, like, Hey man, this, this did not work at all. And this is what we found consistently gets us in a better position on elk. And so um, I'm hoping, like I said, maybe it's this fall, uh, that I get out there. And even if I don't put a ton of time or effort into it, get out there and see what it's all about and hopefully have some cool encounters since I'm going to be out West anyway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more and maybe if you do that, punch in a couple, couple nice right directions and, and get you going, hopefully kill a really nice bull with your bow this year. Oh gosh, man. That'd be so amazing. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, season's right around the corner, so we'll see what ends up happening. But, dude, good luck to you this fall. I'm looking forward to following along and keeping up, see how the season ends up panning out for you. Cool. Yeah, good Good luck to you too, man. Awesome. Thanks. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I always have a good time when I have a guest on that I can hear stories and tips and tricks and strategies and encounters that they've had and I really do want to get out there I don't I'm always so torn about giving up my Colorado rifle season like going after a bull with a gun or chasing after bulls with a bow when I have no experience with it and part of me just needs to get over that and say screw it I'm going to try it but I have missed out on the past two seasons at my main elk camp and so I'm going back there this year but if I'm out west and it's archery season and I've got my bow with me, it's going to be hard for me to pass up chasing after a big bull during the rut. So we'll see what happens. Maybe I only get a cow tag for one of those seasons and I go after them, go after a big bull, the other one. I don't know. We're going to have to sort all that out. Anyways, I had a ton of fun chatting with Chase. I think he's going to have a great season ahead of him, and it sounds like they the learning curve out there is insane. Like They're figuring this out little by little, year after year, making big advances in the amount of time that he puts into studying this stuff and really just 
absorbing all the information he needs to be a successful Western hunter is amazing. And I'm telling you right now, that's the best thing you guys can do. If this is something you're interested in, in the future, gather so much information, really become a student of these animals, a student of the West and strategies and systems and be proficient with whatever you have, whether it's just your physical ability to get out there and hike a bunch and perform under pressure or to shoot or, you know, to overcome obstacles when you're, when you're out there chasing after these animals. There's so much you can learn and just don't stop learning, I guess is what I'm getting at. Anyways, I'm going to stop rambling. There's a lot to do. I mean, there's a month left. We've got, we're kind of down to the wire. It's crunch time. So if you guys are planning a big hunt, you know, get those final preparations in, continue to train, continue to prepare yourself the best that you can. And until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.